So the controlling metaphor in our passage uh, has rather an adult theme. And uh, if you're worried about uh, tender ears, we have age-appropriate teaching throughout the building if you wish to use that. Um, you guys are going to be okay because you're schooled in the Fox Chapel area school district and you know more dirty things than I do. So you don't need to worry, but uh, just be aware it's one of those sermons that touches on a few difficult things. We're in the book of Revelation. And uh, we've seen that this book of Revelation uses elaborate images to reveal basic Christian truths. And the chief image today is introduced in chapter 16, verse 19. There's so much detail in the words that you'll want Scripture open in front of you. If you don't have Scripture open in front of you, you'll do the I don't have Scripture in front of me open face, which is just a terrible thing. It's really off-putting, so turn to it then I can get through the sermon, and we'll all be happy. Chapter 16, verse 19. (laughs) Babylon the Great. Chapter 16, verse 19. Uh, The sermon actually begins in chapter 18, but we've got this background. Verse 19, Babylon was a, a powerful kingdom. Babylon was filled with worship of itself, and in its heyday... Babylon, the empire of Babylon, dominated the world and it oppressed the people of God, but of course it collapsed when it came into conflict with the greater kingdom of God. This all happened, as Ben said a few moments ago, roughly 600 years before John wrote Revelation, so that means when he says Babylon, he's not referring just to that ancient defunct seat of power in the Middle East But actually, he's using Babylon as an emblem or an allegory or a symbol of all kind of evil powers everywhere, every when. That means that whenever you come across any kind of wicked institution, even a little tiny one, and you feel mistreated by it or seduced, and it's framed your language and shaped the thinking of the day and boxed you in a little bit and you feel mistreated by it, and you feel seduced, that is Babylon, symbolically speaking. There are many Babylons in this world, many manifestations of Babylon. Some of them are on our very doorstep. And it might be that we're so used to living next door to Babylon and maybe living inside of Babylon that it's possible that we fail to see it. We might not know where we are. And uh, our tagline for this series is that things are not as they seem. Perhaps we're in Babylon. So how do you know? How do you find out if you're in Babylon? Chapter 17, we're going to jump around a little bit. But 17 verse 6, I saw the woman. Like Israel, like the church, Babylon is personified in this book as a woman. I saw her drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Here is the ultimate diagnostic tool to find out if you're in Babylon. You share the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then you observe how you've been treated. It's that simple. Babylon is thoroughly anti-Christ, and in its most extreme manifestations, thoroughly anti-Christian as well. So if you've been badly treated for what you believe or you've felt obliged to keep quiet what you believe, then you should see that you are, in fact, behind enemy lines. And if you're behind enemy lines, just remember, for all of her power and her wealth and her status, 
the original Babylon, Babylon Mark I, fell in the end. And so too will all the other little Babylons that have arisen. And indeed, so too will the great Babylon behind them all. Back to chapter 16, verse 19. God will make her Babylon, that is to say, not just the original Babylon and all the little manifestations of it today, but the kind of secret Babylon behind it all, God will make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. So, or wrath, if you prefer. Or, or, or wrath, if you, if you prefer. You can say it any way you like. Uh, that's very postmodern, isn't it? So, uh, Babylon is an image of evil power. Uh, thanks, Robert. Babylon is an image of evil power, and now we have this second image of a cup. So you see how we're building up layer upon layer of images. And if you're confused by this idea of what the cup is all about, you can understand that fairly easily as well. If you understand that throughout the Old Testament, the cup was symbolic of the wrath of God. That is to say, his settled but fierce hostility to evil power. Frequently, it is depicted as a cup. And being required to drink from the cup of his wrath was symbolic of the judgment of God. So we've got Babylon, symbolic of evil power. Cup, symbolic of being judged or evil power being judged. And it's just symbolism. But do you remember how in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night that he was betrayed, shortly before he was taken away to be tried, when Jesus said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, he was talking about this one. He was referring to the cup of God's wrath. He knew, Christ knew, that on the cross, he was about to have every kind of evil attributed to him as though it were his own, to be treated as though he were thoroughly a citizen of Babylon, if not a leader of Babylon, responsible for what was going on in that foul place. And on the cross, as Christ took that cup, he drank down God's judgment, God's wrath upon himself, and bore in the flesh the full penalty for all of that wicked evilness and sin, and drained the judgment cup down to its dregs, even though he himself had never sinned. He did all of that. Thank you, Lord for us, did it for me, did it for the worst of sinners just like me. And these images, they're telling us that one day a decisive moment of judgment will occur, that essentially everything is, is headed towards that terrible cup. Everything is. And you can either face that moment as a citizen of Babylon and drink from the cup of wrath yourself alone, or you can be redeemed from it right here, right now, and drink from a different cup, the cup of salvation, the cup of life. Elaborate images depicting basic Christian truths. It is the thing we talk about every week. It doesn't get simpler than this. Next, chapter 17, verse 1. We meet a great prostitute, and verse 5 says, On her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. It's the very same image. We're just adding more detail now. So we started off with like a stick man. 
We started off with a little pencil sketch, and then we added in a little bit of color, and then we troweled on a little bit of texture. We turned this thing from kind of my kindergarten drawing into a Van Gogh or a Van Gogh, depending on how you want to say his name. It's the same image, just more layers of detail now. Evil power is like Babylon. Babylon is like a woman. The woman is like a prostitute. And what are prostitutes like? Well, they have some allure. There's something sirenic about Babylon that draws you in, something to entice. She catches the eye, does Babylon. And she offers to you a version of what you want. Intimacy, affirmation, arousal, escapism, and control. You can do what you want with Babylon because you are the client. You're in control. And the cost, of course, of this interaction is comparatively low. Evil takes many shapes. Sometimes it terrifies, sometimes it tempts. In chapter 17, verse 2, you start to see just how many people have been seduced. Chapter 17, verse 2, we find the kings of the earth have gotten into bed with her. It's just an image, but we're being told that political power has aligned itself with Babylon in order to gain even more political power. Verse 3, we read, she rides a beast full of blasphemous names, religious power. It's a churchy image. Religious power has aligned itself with Babylon in order to gain even more religious power. And then in verse 4 we read, she was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. Corporate power has aligned itself with Babylon in order to gain even more corporate power. Many of our institutions have formed a pact with her, a covenant of sorts. They've flown her flag, they've sung her songs, they've marched to the beat of her drum, and they've been convinced if they could just be seen with her on their arm, they could be seen in public with this woman, and keep her on side, then they could kind of get in on some of her allure and some of her glory as well. She will give to them something of her influence and worship and wealth. And maybe if you're seen with her, you could attract people to yourself as well, just like she does. However, Revelation tells us Babylon will fall. Chapter 18, verse 2. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. It's like a ghost town. These fancy walls have come crumbling down. It's like a defiled temple. Her progressive theology and religious boasts that you can do whatever you like and call it holy have been exposed as demonic works. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. It's like an empire collapsing into its own decadence. You're looking at right here. Like the fall of every empire, including my one. The great leaders of the world have debased themselves with Babylon. They've got drunk on power. They've done things. Not because those things were in the interest of the people or were even rational ideas, 
but simply to keep themselves in power. Whenever you see a policy by anyone, and it makes no sense at all, and you're saying to yourself, that will not help our country, that's because it was never meant to help your country. It was meant to keep the king in power. The merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living, bloated and debauched. Every single one of our big brand names has consumed the poor. All of them. And glossed over it with a little report of their own corporate social responsibility. They've defined righteousness, and then they've produced a a glossy brochure pointing out how they've been righteous according to their own definition, and therefore we should buy more of their things. Never mind what goes on beneath the surface and who's making those clothes for you, what their conditions might be like. But Babylon will be exposed. Babylon will fall. Do not fall for any of her spin. Do not fall for anything in her manifesto or her corporate report. Chapter 18, verse 23. All nations were deceived by your sorcery. Ah, we fell for it. Every single one of us. We bought the lie. All of us. Uh, Sorcery, pharmakeia. It's a cool word in uh, Greek from which we get the English word pharmacy and pharmaceutical and words like that. Uh, It literally means medication like we've been medicated by Babylon, so we can't see reality. We're on a trip. It's not just the big powers of government and religion and industry that have gotten into bed with Babylon. The whole population of the world, everyone, has been seduced, duped and drugged, poisoned and bewitched. It's what the word means. Because Babylon has offered everyone something of her influence something of her worship, something of her wealth. And she calls to us and she says, by aligning ourselves with her, we can be clothed just like she is. We can look like her and have what she has. Look at the beautiful clothes that Babylon wears. Look at the gems and the jewels. Look at the egregious shows of wealth. Look how much attention this woman gets. All eyes are on her. Look at the influence she has. If you align yourself with her, you will get more clicks and more likes and longer streaks. And all you need to do is say her words and buy her things and dress her way, and all of this could be yours. Just remember, Babylon's clothes come with Babylon's cup. It's a package deal. Chapter 19. Halfway through verse 1. Suddenly the image shifts to rejoicing in heaven. It's rather abrupt. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Verse 2. For his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. It was sudden and it was decisive. God has made her drink from the cup of his wrath and he's avenged all of those who were persecuted for their faith. All of those who were abused in the machine. So what about us? Like where do we fit in to this? What if we feel somewhere in between? Uh, What if we've proclaimed the gospel 
right? But we've not been killed for it. So I've proclaimed the gospel. I've not been killed for it. So does that mean I'm not really a saint? Uh, what if uh, we've, we've tried to find a sort of middle way between God and Babylon? Like we've dialed down a little bit of the God stuff, and we've also moderated a little bit of the evil excesses as well, and tried to just be kind of all right. Uh, you know, I've not been completely debauched for a while, um, but I've, I've not been exactly pure either. I bought a Bible. It's really great. But I also bought a pair of pants from Lululemon. And they only have an ethics rating of 41% based on the cotton they sourced from the Uyghur slave camp in northern China and the conditions in some of their factories overseas. Oh, but they're such nice pants. And the advert I saw said they were ethical. So I should buy these ethical pants. Well, who said they were ethical? Lululemon did. Ah, that's the trap we're in. What if you've just lived in Babylon so long that you've taken on some of her ways without seeing it? I've lived here nearly 10 years. And, uh, you know, it's changed me. I was on the phone with my dad a little while ago. He said, what are you doing, son? I said, uh, I'm just out getting some gas for my weed whacker. He said, what the bloody next a weed whacker? And he went quiet for a bit, and he said, it's petrol! You know, so I get it. Um, I'm sure every single one of us knows what it feels like to Babylonize just a little tiny bit, and then to see it, and then to worry about our identity. I get it. The good news, verse 8. It was granted the church to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. These are symbols of elegance and, and purity. They're far superior to the unethical rags of Babylon. And these clothes will cover over any defilement and any shame you might have felt. Verse 8 continues, For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Sounds confusing, but a, a better translation would be deed of righteousness of the saints. That'd be a better translation, I think. It's not list of deeds we've done. Look at all the good stuff we did. It is a deed in the sense that it is a certificate of, of whose you are. It's deed like the deed that you have in your safe that shows that you own your house or your car or something like that, a title deed. We have an authenticating certificate, a passport, if you will, that reveals where our citizenship is really from. We may have been in Babylon a long time, but we're resident aliens of Babylon. Our citizenship is in heaven. How do I know? Where does my authenticating deed come from? How do I know there's a bit of paper that says that I belong to Jesus? Look at the cross. Just look at the cross of Christ. Satan would have you look at anything but the cross. Look at your beauty. Look what you could have. Look at wealth. Look at all of these things. Satan would have you look at your sins. Oh, look at the shame. Look at the debauchery. Look what you did. Look at the filth and look at your schemes and look at your compromises. Look at your insecurities. Look at your shame. Maybe he would have you look at your shame and insecurities and how you tried to get ahead by masking it and doing the right thing and how you failed and then went back to shame again. 
Satan would love you to spiral into deeper and deeper and deeper shame. Whether you did those things or not, he doesn't care, as long as you feel like you did. And so long as you feel like you're responsible for them, look at the cross. What is the cross all about? What happened on the cross? What is the gospel? The cross is the place where Christ drained the cup of God's wrath down to its dregs and bore in his flesh the due penalty for your sins and exchanged that terrible cup for a cup of salvation and life. That is what the cross of Christ is all about. Look at it. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. The word granted, it means gift. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. Not a one-night stand in some seedy, cheap motel. But the true intimacy and affirmation that you were craving all along. That permanence of attention and permanence of tenderness and care that you were craving all along. It's a marriage, not a one-night stand. And verse 7 says, his bride, that's us, the church. You know, guys, you just got to get used to it. You're a woman. His bride has made herself ready. Not a client, but a spouse. See the difference? The cross was, in effect, Christ's proposal to his church. The church that had been trapped inside of Babylon now walks down the aisle and is hand-in-hand with the groom at the front of the church exchanging vows. And Christ has already spoken. And he returns to break his bride free from Babylon. And he lays out for her on her wedding night a set of new clothes, perfect clothes. Clothes she could not possibly have ever provided for herself. They're made of materials that can never be found inside of Babylon, no matter how ethical we try to be. They're bright, they're splendid, they're elegant, they cover her shame and they're pure. It's a word to do with purification through fire. It's a word to do with pruning, purity. And it leaves only that which lasts forever. This is a set of elaborate images to reveal some basic Christian truths. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this powerful image. We see that our whole society is corrupted. We might pick one thing over another and feel it superior. But Lord, the whole thing is Babylon. And you have redeemed us from it through your work on the cross. So we pray that that signs of the kingdom would be present right now in justice in our leaders leading wisely, in our corporations acting honestly and with integrity. But, Lord, we know that Babylon will keep rising and falling until you return. And so what we pray for, Lord, is that you would return and find us ready. Clothe us, clothe over our shame, wash us, purify us, and present us to yourself, we pray in your name. Amen.